Thank you, man. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Common Ground Church. My name is Nick. I'm here on staff with Evan and Matt, and I get the wonderful privilege and joy, because that's what we're talking about today, uh, to give you a few announcements of some things that are going on. And the first one is right after the worship service here, we are going to be celebrating a baptism service out in that cold, windy parking lot. I hope you're fired up for that. I hope the water's fired up for you is what I should say. Yeah. And then after that, we're going to stay and we're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers. So we want to just celebrate kind of picnic style, that sort of thing. Hope you brought sides. Uh, I do know that there's deviled eggs here, courtesy of Ted. So you might get some if you get mine ahead of me. Uh, but that's going to be happening. And we hope you enjoy that time and celebrate with us. Speaking of celebration, uh, on December 11th, that's next Saturday, we're going to have our Common Ground Christmas party and a reach out to our neighbors by caroling. I don't know if that will win them into the kingdom of heaven or drive them further away, uh, but we're going to give that a shot. So we invite you to come and join us. That's going to be at 6 p.m. next Saturday to do some caroling. There's going to be a white elephant gift exchange. And the way Evan describes white elephant gift exchange, it scares me to death. But bring something that you would like to give somebody. I'll just say it that way. <laughs> and then uh, there's going to be some games and things like that. In fact, uh, the rumors out that there might be a Christmas trivia challenge brought to you by the former Pure Bean trivia guys. So you'll want to not miss that. And then speaking of Christmas, on Christmas Eve at 5.30, we want to invite you to join us for a special Christmas Eve uh, service and celebration of the Christmas story and the wonderful gifts that God has given to us. Uh, I'm not sure what this means, but Evan has on my announcement sheet, this room gets dark. So... And we're going to do candles. Okay, so apparently Evan's a little bit afraid of the dark. So, <laughs> But it's a theater. That's what they do, all right? So uh, we have one more special announcement that we're going to have before our awkward social interaction. Uh, I've had the privilege over the last 38 years now uh, to be a part of an organization called Camp Halawasa. And I've seen this camp... Uh, go through a lot of things, a lot of changes and whatnot, but one thing that does not change is its impact on kids. And I'm really excited to know that a lot of people from Common Ground are getting more involved with this particular camp. So to let you all learn a little bit more about that, I'm going to invite one of the Keenies that I don't think I had a chance to meet yet, and that's Dale and Keeney, uh, to come up and share a little bit with us. Good morning. The last time I was on stage, it was in a dinner theater in Montana. Um, one of the privileges I had, I had a skin-tight purple leisure suit on. <laughs> right now, I want, uh, my name is Dale Keeney, and uh, this church brings back a lot of memories. I went to Sunday school and, and uh, church in this building many, 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 many years ago, and uh, it, it just need to come back and see that the Lord is working in this facility again. I need Evan and his wife and Zach and his wife to come up up here for a second. And I'll let you decide who gets those cards. So what it is is um, this church is going to we're gonna we're gonna staff we're gonna staff a uh, camp this summer. You guys didn't know that, but you're gonna be staffing a, a camp. Um, and I want you to prayfully consider 
what role that God would have for you to do this summer. Um, and, and here in a little bit, we're going to show these different roles. Right now, we have uh, we have a head coach. Oh, is this scary? We have a director, and I'm glad that uh, Zach and Haley got the guy and girl counselor for that part of it. Now, we can have camp with just these four people, but there needs to be 23 other jobs or roles that it takes to, to, do, to do Camp Halawasa. Why is Camp Halawasa so important to me? July 23rd, 1978, what were you guys doing? Let's say I look out here, a lot of you were not even around. <laughs> July 23rd, 1978, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior at Camp Halawasa. So that's why I want to take and, and make sure that the word gets out about Camp Havawasa. So I need, uh, instead of asking for volunteers, I figured it's going to be easier just to take and say, all right, everybody, everybody in the second row, <clears throat> come up here and line up down in front. And, and my, my uh, fine assistant, We'll hand you a, a card and you show that card to, to, to the audience. <laughs> I made the mistake of introducing this fine young lady as, as my friend. She's a little more than my friend now because she's wearing a piece of jewelry. <laughs> so... All right, we've got we've got a director. Oh, we need some more. We need need some more people. I think everybody in that next row. You 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 people. Yeah, you older people we can come up here too. It's experienced people. That's the older people. Experienced people. <laughs> The director, what's the responsibilities of the director? One of the things that's responsible of the director is to find staff. So you notice how I found the staff? Perfect, perfect opportunity. Um, handles discipline, there's lots of different responsibilities for the director. The cook, the head cook. Now, this is one of the most important positions at Camp Halawasa because a lot of kids go home and say, man, we had some really good cooking. My mom used to cook up at camp for years and, and it was just phenomenal, the, the stories that she'd hear. One of the things that uh, um, a, camp, a camper asked the, the, the head cook one time, so what do you do after you're done serving food? They just didn't realize that they had to prepare for the next, next meal. Okay, we got the guy counselor and the girl counselor up here on stage. They're in charge of the campers, um, tent devotionals, um, be willing to listen to campers' needs, uh, things that campers struggle with. Um, and as a, as a counselor, there's going to be some tough questions. 
that the kids will ask. So you, you need to be prepared. Either that or you just go, uh, go talk to the director. <laughs> the camp nurse. Who, who's the camp nurse? Camp nurse, okay? Um, you might need to, uh, you might think, well, we don't need a camp nurse. Well, yes, we do. Um, because we were all children once too, and uh, we get a little crazy. Um, one of the things the camp nurses they're in charge of daily medication, um, administering that, uh, also first aid. Who's in charge of registration? Okay, you handle the, the every camper's registration when they come in. You, you set up the camp, the tent, tent assignment. Um, you report any health needs or food, food issues to the nurse or, or the cook. Another thing is when anybody comes to camp um, during the week, you document that they come in um, and uh, re make sure we re re record that. Who's our speaker? <coughs> Be prepared because if the director can't answer the questions that the, the, the counselors can't, they're gonna go to the speaker, okay? This is someone who shares from God's word um, and your information needs to be age appropriate. You're probably not going to go to the seven, eight-year-old kids um, with a propitiation and all that other big words, okay? And you need to be, one of the things is, you need to be available to lead the children to Christ or to share a message that, that relays that. Who's our activity person? Activity person. What do you suppose you would do? Well, you're in charge of... <laughs> charge of daily activities. Um, these kids come come to camp all wired up and got enough uh, enough energy to last them 10 days in, in four four days, you know. And so you need to take and, and come up with activities that you wear them out so when it comes time for bedtime that they're ready to go to sleep. Okay? Um, if you got anybody that uh, coordinates with the director about your needs that you're going to need, um, you know, if you've got a, a game that you're wanting to play, you need to make sure that we've, we've got that. And if you, if you know of somebody that's got a special talent, such as archery, to run the archery range, such as, you know, different, different needs, uh, make sure you get them to help. Who's our maintenance person? Okay? You're going to make sure you're going to do any necessary repairs for the week. Okay? And it might be changing the light bulb. It might be, we got a new facility there at, at Dunn Hot Springs, awesome facility that the Lord has, has given us. Um, and so you might not have to do any repairs, but there's probably gonna be some repairs. Also, if we get an influx of a bunch of campers, um, you might need to set up some more tents. Okay, so that's you. Who's our gopher person? Okay, what does a gopher do? Go for stuff, okay? Our, our, our head cook realized he forgot to have the macaroni to, for the macaroni and cheese salad that he was going to make or whatever. Um, so you have to run to wherever and get, get, our, uh, um, get our, our food. Also, our maintenance person. Or activity person, he, he forgot that uh, he needed a, a, a softball for playing a softball game. So you might have to run to, to get um, our, our maintenance, you know, so our maintenance person realized that they went to change that light bulb and didn't have any light bulbs. 
Who's our assistant cook? Okay, he assists the head, head cook and helps serve food. Now, you might not be able to cook, but you can do dishes and you can serve food. He can cook? Okay. So, you know, the assistant cook, you know, you assist the cook. Anyway, who's our bus driver? Okay, you have got um, just a few months to get your CDL ambassador endorsement because you are going to be our bus driver. Um, because our activity director, he's going to want to go to uh, um, hot, down to Angostura and we're going to go swimming. So you need to be get your CDL and get your bus driver license so you can go haul everybody around. Alright, who else we got? We need a song leader. Who's our song leader? You're our song leader? Why are you not up here? Oh, just kidding. Okay, song leader is pretty self-explanatory. Um, maybe you play a guitar and you, and you lovely worship. Um, you lead the, the music during our, during our worship time every day. Okay, we need four counselors because we're all of a sudden we got an influx of a whole bunch more campers. So we need four counselors. Do we get four more counselors? Oh no, we have a problem. So two of you guy counselors need to come over here and, and exchange with, with these two, two gals over here because we can't put guy counselors in there. So two, two of you guys come over and swap, swap jobs and responsibilities with, with these other... So you get to change light bulbs now. So, so, these, so, so the role, roles of these counselors, these, these four more counselors, is because we have more, more kids, so we need more counselors. Okay, we need, uh, we got four helpers. No, I got cards here. Oh, we, oh, we got, how many more cards you got left? Six. We had six more cards, all right. You six right there. <laughs> that, that's only fine, yeah, okay. So, so we need we need helpers. And you think what do we need helpers for? Well, it takes a lot to put on a put on a camp. So, these are people. We need two people, and and you guys can decide which two you are um, to come early before camp starts. And you're going to set up tents. You're going to clean up the grounds. Um, after the winter, we got branches down and different things like that. So you're going to get the grounds ready. Then we need two more of you uh, helpers to, to clean up the building and get it set up. Get to make sure everything's working. Because, and, and if it's not, you report it to our ma new maintenance man and uh, make sure he gets it set up. The other thing we need to do is uh, four people to come and help with work days. Every spring we try to have, have work days. and. Uh, We'll be sure that it's announced here in church. Um, what an awesome time of, of going to Camp Halawasa and, and uh, the grounds and, sh and sharing and fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters in Christ, working on the camp and getting it ready for, for the camping season. Um, whether it's paint, whether it's um, any, any other reporters. Okay, now you can't, who's our sponsor? Should be a sponsor? Do we have a sponsor here? Okay, you're, you're our sponsor, okay? You might think, what, what, what's a sponsor? 
Well, you might not be able to help in any of these ways, any of these uh, other roles coming to, down to camp, but you know a uh, niece or nephew, neighbor kid or whatever that you would love to see go to camp. So you're going to sponsor sponsor them to go to camp. You're going to pay for pay for them to go to camp. What, what an awesome way to, 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 to take and, and share the ministry of, of Camp Havelosta. Now we need, who's our store person? Okay, you're in charge of our store. Um, that's, you know, we got, we got t-shirts, we've got hats, we've got Heather Blaine, we got uh, um, food, candy, and stuff like that. You're, you're responsible for, for getting that all set up and, and handling all that. Okay? If I missed anybody, what's your job? Help. You're a helper. Oh, I can help. You can split wood? Okay. So, everybody needs to turn around, turn the, their papers around, and show everybody in the audience. Now, everybody in the audience needs to have these cards. Because this is your role in Camp Alawasa. We need to pray. That someday one of these counselors might might uh, lead a, a, a child to Christ. Um, the speaker, pray for the speaker, pray for the staff, pray for the campers, pray for what role that each one of us might have in uh, um, the continuation of Camp Halawasa. Pray that one somebody will make that same decision I, I did, July 23, 1978. And uh, just pray, pray for that. If you have any questions about Camp Halawasa, these other four people up here on stage with me, um, also Logan, um, and, and we, I know we've got a couple of over here that's familiar. Nick, Nick can get you get you uh, pointed in the right direction. If you have any questions about Camp Halawasa and, and what your role is. And it might not be for all, I mean, these little jobs are not for all summer, but you might be able to do it for a week. You might be able to come out for a day. You might be able to come out for two days. Just pray that, that God would, would uh, lay on your heart what you'd have, have for you. Okay? Thank you. And then turn, turn all the cards into my, my fine assistant over here, if you would, please. And then the order that she gave them to you. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. Yeah, I'll go ahead and direct us into that. So again, coming up this June, July, I would encourage you um, to consider how you could be involved with Camp Halawasa. Uh, Nick and myself uh, got the chance to speak last year. I did the middle school camp and he did the high school camp and then we had winter leading worship and Audrey leading worship. And it was a great time, a really valuable experience. So I would just encourage you to be involved in that. And now I'm gonna invite you back into worship as we move into our Advent reading. And Nick, our wonderful bassist, is going to be leading us in a reading from Psalm 126, and you will be lighting our candles, and today's theme for the Advent season is joy. Alright, oh there we go. So I'm Nick, and I'm leading Advent today. And so last week we celebrated the Advent of Love. And this week we are celebrating the Advent of Joy. 
So they'll be reading from Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Nahim. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return to songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. singing a song called Blessed Assurance, which is all about how our story is a reflection of Jesus Christ. So I'd like you guys to just take a second and think about your own baptism. And for me, it was when I was in seventh grade. I took the plunge with my best friends, and I never looked back. And so I'm going to be thinking about that as we sing. And I encourage you guys to think about your own story and how Jesus is in it and interwoven. Thank you. 
pray this morning that that would be our reflection of you, that would be our worship, that we would tell our story, that we'd tell people the amazing treasure that you have given us, and that is a transformed life. It's a transformed family, it's a transformed destiny, and it's eternal salvation and forever worship of you, God, and that is what we get to look forward to when we follow you, Jesus. We pray this in your holy name, common ground, you may have a seat. So it is at this time that we give of our tithes, we give of our offerings, and we do that as an act of worship and as an act of faithfulness to God. And so as you're um, praying and as you're reflecting, um, I'd ask you to consider giving this morning. Um, we have three ways to give here at Common Ground. Our links are listed up on the screen. So in person, we have a giving box in the back corner there, so feel free to use that if you prefer. Otherwise, we have two online ways to give, and they're very easy to use. Um, so with that, let's uh, continue in worship as we sing this next song. Feel free to join us.
Thanks again, worship team. Um, here at Common Ground, it is our custom uh, often to have a prayer time where we have open sharing and an opportunity uh, to pray with one another. Uh, today we're going to do it a little bit different. Oops, pardon me. There's two sets of steps and I'm blocking them both. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to do a little bit different today. Uh, when we pray, I'm, I'm going to be praying specifically for you, Common Ground, uh, and concerning the topic of uh, this week's Advent. Uh, but before we do that, I thought it would be really good and fitting with this week's Advent to invite Tim to come up here, if you would. And uh, we've been praying for Tim's family, uh, especially baby Tessa, over the past few weeks. And uh, I wanted to give him an opportunity to share an update. So this week's theme is joy. And we've had a, a good week. You know, she, Tessa had surgery this week. and has a feeding port put in her abdomen somewhere so they can take the tube out of her throat. Um, so that's good, everything went well. And then also, she, while she was under anesthesia, they did a hearing test. Um, we knew she could hear because she would turn um, and look at Erica or Justin, but just, you know, what quality of hearing did she have? Um, but it came back as just slight uh, hearing impairment, so that's a, a blessing from the Lord as well. So we are rejoicing. Also, Justin had his hip replaced this week. <laughs> four, four months ago, he had a really bad bike accident, and his hip was not healing, so they decided, well, let's just take it out and give you an artificial one. So anyway, they've been through a lot these last four months, and uh, things were all positive this week, so that's, that's good. So continue to pray for Tessa for complete healing, strength for Erica and Justin. Mandy's still in Texas. She'll be coming home on Friday. Uh, she's worn out um, too. But anyways, strength for all is, is in order. But the Lord can provide. Thanks. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, for those who may not be aware of all that's been going on, uh, Tim mentioned his son-in-law's bicycle accident, which was pretty horrific. And that's involved his ability to work, and he's been under recovery through uh, the injuries that he sustained. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, you know, life goes on. There's still children to get take care of, children to get to school, things like that. And uh, a pregnant wife, and even uh, pregnancy without complications, uh, would be pretty rough in these circumstances. But then Tessa's birth did have complications, and that's why we've been praying for her. Uh, and uh, Erica and Justin and Tim and Mandy through this, this whole situation. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for them. Uh, this is a stressful time of year, uh, and that is a very stressful situation they're going through, and the emotional aspect of it is a very heavy burden to carry. Uh, so let's carry that along with them. If you have something that you would really like us to be praying about, I encourage you to come see Evan, myself, uh, or any one of our prayer team members. I'm just going to ask them to stand real quick if you're on our prayer team, just so people know who to go to if uh, they would like to have somebody praying for them. So there you go. That's a good squad. Uh, thank you for doing that. All right. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter 16, David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant successfully back to Jerusalem this time. The first time wasn't a very good attempt. Uh, and there's quite a parade of joy that is happening as they do that. In 1 Chronicles 16, verses 31, 32, and then I'm going to jump to 34, uh, records this. 
Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, I'd like to make that the theme of our prayer uh, before Pastor Evan comes up and shares God's word with us. So can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we do want to lift our voices uh, continually today. Uh, what we've begun in song that we would continue to do even in our own hearts and that, Lord, even in the quiet places that we would, like the sea, roar and exult in who you are. Lord, you are the giver of joy. You are the source of all joy. And as we read your word, we see what makes you rejoice. God, we pray that you would rejoice in what you see in us today. But Father, we also recognize that we live in a very broken world. We know all too well the effects of sin in our lives. Lord, we know the destruction that it brings. And we know that you have an enemy that wants to rob us of joy especially in this season. So God, we would stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ to pray against your enemy and to pray for your joy to be made full in us. So Lord, I pray right now for every soul that is here right now or um, joining us through the live stream, that wherever they're at, whatever circumstance they might be facing in life, that you would make their hearts glad that you would cause them to rejoice in your salvation. That, Lord, you would help them to proclaim among every people group of this world that you do indeed reign. Father, our circumstances might be contrary, but you are constant. And you are sovereign. And so, God, we give you our lives today. We give you our hearts today. We give you the situations and circumstances of our life today. We want them to be in your hands. We want you to reign. We want your kingdom to rule over us. God, draw near to those who are brokenhearted. God, put your arms of love and comfort around those that are lonely. Father, for those who are lacking Overflow your mercy and goodness upon them, that they would be made full. And God, for all the good that you've given and bestowed to each and every one of us, may you find us ready and willing to share whatever we can with whoever we can in this Advent season. Lord, let us today be a people that make your joy full and complete. We ask in Christ's name. Advent season, um, we just 
recognize that during this time, whatever we have planned to teach throughout the year, um, whatever book we're in, whatever we've been doing, that when it comes to the Christmas season, just like when it comes to Easter, we just feel like when it comes to Christmas, nothing else matters aside from celebrating the reality that Jesus came 2,000 years ago to save us. And so as we're going through Advent, we're looking at how Advent um, comes from the Greek word Adventus, which means arrival or coming, and how the Advent is really a celebration looking back on when Jesus first arrived in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and how he also promised to come back one day to be announced, to come and to bring his kingdom of heaven to the full on earth and in heaven. And so the Advent is this in-between space where we're living, where we are looking back on Jesus coming, and we are looking forward to him coming again. And we talked about last week how the way that we have hope and confidence in Jesus' return is by looking back and seeing how him coming in the first place was a sign, was evidence that God is faithful to keep his promises, that God is faithful to keep his covenants. And we talked about last week um, the Abrahamic covenant. And if you've never heard of cutting animals in half and walking through them as being key to the Christmas story, well, now I hope you think of that every time it comes to the Christmas story because really the Abrahamic covenant is key to understanding why Jesus came. Um, 2,000 years ago, in order to fulfill this promise that God had made so long ago. And so as we're going through the Advent season, we're looking at those promises that God has made to us. We're looking at the promises that he made so long ago in the Old Testament, and how Jesus' coming is the fulfillment of that. And so today, um, we're going to be doing that um, by looking at a few different passages. We'll be in Luke chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 51. Um, and what we're going to be looking here is how God promised to bring joy. That prophecies about the Messiah, that the covenants that involve the Messiah coming and Jesus coming, one of the main things that God is saying is going to be included in the Messiah coming is joy. Joy. And we're probably pretty familiar with joy being connected to Christmas, right? Um, I know it's easy to, you know, hit those softballs that... Hit those softballs um, and make fun of the culture for all the different weird things that they have incorporated into Christmas and all the different ways that now I'm underwater. All the different ways that you know our culture has really turned Christmas into something about marketing and into possessions and just made it stuff that it's not. And it's easy to pick on that and to make fun of them. But if there's one thing that I think the culture or even that you know the commercials, the advertising, the marketers get right, it's the connection between. Christmas and joy. Um, any Christmas commercial is typically with happy, smiling people, right? Or Christmas songs, Christmas movies, they're all typically upbeat, positive. If our culture gets anything right, it's that joy is connected to Christmas. And I think we can affirm that there's one thing, that joy is connected to Christmas. And what we're going to see here um, when we go to Luke chapter 2 is that this is actually one of the things that God has promised, that Christmas is going to bring joy. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 to start. <laughs> I just love how like, you guys keep trying to tune out and then it happens and then you come back. You know what? Just keep going. I can switch to handheld if you really want me to. Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't. I don't. 
That's okay. But now you're not going to see all my great hand motions, and it's really helping you understand. All right. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and this is a very familiar story. Um, this is probably one of the most read stories when it comes to Christmas. This is probably one of the most familiar to us, that every Christmas we read this, we hear it read, and we're familiar with it. And this, we're going to look at verse 8 through 20, where it's the shepherds in the field hearing this message from the angel and from a whole heavenly host that the Messiah is going to be born. And so starting in Luke chapter 8, verse, or Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay, so this is a familiar story, right? We've heard this before, but I want us to look specifically again at verse 10 then. Okay, look at what the angel says in verse 10 about this news. Okay, about this message that they're telling the shepherds. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So what does this angel have? Good news. And what is the result of this good news? Great joy, right? That's part of what is promised here. That God sent an angel with this news that the Savior is going to be born. And the result of this news should be great joy, right? Great joy. This angel comes and says, hey, this promised one, this Messiah, this this Savior that you guys have been waiting for for thousands of years is here. Here's the update. Here's what's changed tonight. Something has now changed. The Messiah is here. It is good news that will bring great joy. And this here, this is the intro to Jesus' life that the shepherds get. The introduction of Jesus to them is that here is the Savior. Here is this good message that will bring you great joy. And this message that the angel brought in Luke chapter 2 here was something that they had been waiting for for a long time. That there are numerous prophecies and promises of God in the Old Testament promising that when the Savior comes, when the Messiah comes, this is going to be the result. The result is going to be great joy. And one of the most well-known and expected promises of God comes from Isaiah chapter 51. So that's where we'll be here. Isaiah chapter 51, starting in verse 1. And this is something that the Jews 
would have memorized. They would have had this close to their heart. They would have held to these promises, waiting for one day when the Messiah is going to come. And I just want you, as we read through this, to look at all that is promised. Look at all that God is promising, that when the Messiah comes, this is going to be the result. So Isaiah 51, starting in verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. So God is saying here, hey, remember, you know, the promise that we talked about last week, right? We talked about the promise to Abraham. And God is saying, hey, remember how I kept that promise? I made that promise to Abraham. And what happened? It was fulfilled. I keep to my promises. And now he's going to promise salvation and joy coming as well. And he's calling back to this, saying, you can trust that I follow through, because I followed through in the past. Verse 3, he says, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Some of your versions might say joy and happiness, joy and cheer. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nation. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment. The the worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. Awake, awake, the arm of the Lord. Clothe yourself with strength. Awake as in the days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced the monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? God is here saying, hey, you guys do bad things. I do good things. I do good things for you. And then he continues on. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. So this is what is promised. All of these things when the Messiah comes. And you'll you hear over and over this talk of salvation. And this news of salvation. And this reality of God's people being saved by Him. The only logical response and the, and the reaction to this. And the result of this salvation is Joy. Joy. That when the promised Messiah comes, the salvation will last forever. And gladness and joy and cheer and joy and people will be singing and people will be overtaken by gladness and joy. This is what the angels were explaining to the shepherds. That this message, this great news is what has come. This is the message that will bring goodness and joy. And it is here. And this is what we're going to look at today. Um, If you see the connection here, the reality that joy, joy in the Bible, it's 
directly connected to salvation. That if there's any reason to have joy, it is because God saves. That God has saved us. That we are able to witness salvation of others. And so as we look in the Bible, what we see here is that joy is a byproduct of salvation. Joy is a byproduct of salvation. Now really, honestly, it should be joy is a byproduct of salvation, the presence of God, and obedience. But I've been told I'm not allowed to preach hour-long sermons, and so we're just going to stick with salvation. <laughs> I was hoping someone would say, no, it's okay, you can go there. <laughs> Alright, we'll just stick to that. Okay, and so the result, salvation, is joy. Um, that's essentially the predominant condition of a saved person. That is what is available through salvation here. And this is what the angel tell him. Tell the shepherds that this is good news of great joy. The Savior, the Messiah is here. And you will know it when you, when you see it, when you go and you find him. And so what happens? The shepherds want that. They hear that and they say yes. And they go and they find him. And they see it and they return singing and praising God. And now when you look through the New Testament, um, what you're going to notice is that the New Testament uses this word joy in a lot of different ways. Um, and while most of the time it's an emotion, there are times when it's even a verb, there are times when it's an adjective, and people are described as being joyful in an adjective sense. And it's used in so many different ways that it's kind of hard to pinpoint what exactly it is if you were to give a descriptive definition. And then if you study you know, some of the leading theologians or Christian thinkers, you'll find that most of them don't give a descriptive definition of what joy is, but instead, the smart people tend to give a definition that is more about how you get it or where it's from. And as I was studying over the last month, this kind of frustrated me, and I felt like, you know, people were maybe skirting around the answer and they weren't wanting to give, you know, a pinpoint answer, or maybe they didn't know. And they were just only telling you how to get it or where it's from. For some reason, that just was really uneasy with me, and I was like, no, tell us what it is. But as you study through the scriptures, what, first, what I was able to notice is, oh, maybe they were doing that for a reason. There are a lot of people who are smarter than me. Because what you see in the New Testament is that the way the New Testament describes joy, or uses this word, is it doesn't give a definition, a descriptive definition of what it is. But the New Testament is always connecting joy to a person or to something outside of ourselves from which we receive joy. Spoiler alert, who do you think that is? It's Jesus. That the only time joy is used in the New Testament, it is always connected to the person of Jesus. And so really it's not that important what it is, um, because you can't seek out joy for joy's sake anyway. Um, if you're gonna just pursue happiness for happiness sake, Good luck to you. But instead, if we know where to get it or how we're able to get it, that it is in the person of Christ, then that's all that we need to know. Because in pursuing the person of Christ, that is where joy is found. And just as when the shepherds got there and saw him, that was their experience. That is the experience that we can expect when we pursue Christ as well doesn't really matter descriptively what it is, but we know where to get it. We know who has it, and that's Christ. And Christ, and knowing the person of Christ, that the salvation he offers is where joy is found. Okay, now here's the deal. I, uh, 
I've heard it a lot, and you probably have too. Um, we like to juxtapose happiness and joy, right? You know, I've probably heard this sermon a million times growing up. You know, happiness uh, comes from the English word hap, which is all about happenstance. And so happiness is all about, you know, the circumstances that change and they ebb and flow. But joy is spiritual and it doesn't come and go and it doesn't ebb and flow. And so joy and happiness are so different. They're so disconnected. And I get what they're saying there and they're trying to communicate there because obviously we know that when circumstances in our life are good, it feels easy to be joyful. And when circumstances are not so good, it's a little more difficult. And we know that there are cases when we might be happy about something, and then that thing will change or be gone, and we don't feel that anymore. And so we understand that there is a bit of a disconnect, but there's also, especially like what we see in Isaiah chapter 51, and what we see in the message that these angels give to the shepherds, is that, you know, joy is kind of connected to circumstances, circumstances that God changes, right? Just the bigger circumstance. That really, when we are saved, when we are saved by God, when we have a promise of eternity in heaven, our circumstances on earth might come and go, ebb and flow, but nonetheless, we have the constant knowledge of an eternity with Christ. And so, I don't think it's that disconnected, especially when you read through the scriptures. I probably won't get into it because this isn't a hill I'm willing to die on. I really don't care. If that's something that you need to pursue Christ to recognize the difference between happiness and joy, then more power to you. But as you read through the scriptures, one of the things that you'll see over and over again is happiness and joy connected in the same sentence, being put together. And the reason for this is I think they're not as disconnected as we like to make them, and we split hairs on the English words. But nonetheless, happiness, I think you can have happiness without joy, right? You can be happy about a certain, certain circumstance, and then when that goes, the happiness can leave because it's in a shallow sense. And so you can have happiness without joy. But I question whether or not you can have joy without happiness. Because I think that joy is more than happiness, but it's certainly not less. Right? That joy, you know, if, if someone is sad and mopey and down, but yet says, well, I have joy, I'm joyful. Most of the time I doubt that, right? I don't think that you can truly have joy as Debbie Downer, Negative Nancy. I don't think Frowning Frank or uh, Cynical Cynthia or uh, some Bad News Brian, um, Miserable Mike, sorry Mike, I it's not you. Can go on, but I think you know if we hear people um, who are down all the time without happiness, I think joy is the next level. And I think this is something that we have to understand: is that joy is this fullness, this fullness to overflow, something that is a happiness beyond that. That it's not as disconnected as we think, but yet it is more than happiness. It's the next step. And so one of the things you'll see as you read through the scriptures, read through the Psalms and see the connections. See how the psalmist connects them together and connects this, this experience of being in a relationship with God, this experience of knowing salvation. And it's hard to name. It's hard to name this feeling inside of us, but more often than not, it's described as joy. It's also described as gladness, cheerfulness. All of these things are the description of what the result of salvation is. And really, I want to make this point because I think we all understand that we all desire to experience joy, right? None of us 
for the most part, I mean, maybe you do, are purposely trying to be unhappy. Are you? Like, most people don't do things for the purpose of being unhappy. You're not like, oh, I'm friends with this person, or I drive this car, or I have this job, because I want to be sad. Very few people do that, okay? Most of the time, people are pursuing joy. They're pursuing happiness. This is the reality. Augustine of the fourth century wrote that every man, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. Thomas Aquinas, a few centuries later, said that man is unable not to wish to be happy. And then Blaise Pascal, the famous French mathematician and theologian, said that all men seek happiness. This is without exception. And so this is something that we recognize that we spend a lot of time in our lives pursuing and seeking. And sometimes I think, you know, we can think, well, maybe that, that pursuit in itself is completely wrong. And I want to maybe ask the question that could our desire to be happy, our desire to be joyful, actually not be in itself sinful or wrong, but could it actually be placed there by God? Placed there by God with God knowing that He is the only one that can fulfill it. And so this desire to be happy, this desire to seek joy, this desire to seek fullness in our lives, the problem with it is not that desire in the first place. The problem is what we go to, right? What we go to to try to meet this desire of joy and happiness. Because we have to admit, even as Christians ourselves, that we are seeking joy in other places other than God as well, right? We seek it in our relationships, in our jobs, vacations, food, holidays, whatever it is. That this desire God has placed in us to motivate us to go towards Him and to seek Him as the fulfillment of our joy gets twisted, right? It gets twisted. It gets turned into an idol. And in the language of Romans chapter 1, we exchange the Creator for created things, right? Where God has place this desire within us in order to propel us towards Him, in order for us to consider the salvation that we have. And we turn and we look to other things for it. And so I want to hopefully help us to see, well, when it comes to this desire, when it comes to joy, that Jesus actually is the one with whom we should pursue, if that's, if that's what we're after, if that's something that is inside of us, that Perhaps there's actually no better teacher in how to live a joyful life than Jesus. And I know this, frankly, this is kind of hard for me to even comprehend or for me to take seriously as well because, you know, I think so many people have twisted the message of the promise of joy, you know, twisted it into prosperity gospel or twisted it into, you know, God wants you to be happy and so you can do whatever you want that, you know, I myself almost swing the pendulum too far in the other direction. Nope. Okay. That's it. No, having is bad. God, good. That's it. As if it's completely disconnected. That God has nothing to offer when it comes to joy, which is just not true. That if there's anything worth pursuing in this life, it can be found in Christ. But I think most, most of us don't actually think about Jesus when we think about how to live a joyful life. Or we don't read the New Testament when we're looking for how to be more joyful. Instead, right, we look for our jobs, we look for relationships, we look for hobbies, we look for all these different things to fill us. But I think that's a mistake. I think in this pursuit of joy, 
can be found in the person of Christ. It can be found in the person of Christ. Now, A.W. Tozer famously said that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, right? And he goes on to say in the same book, The Pursuit of God, that most of our pain is from failing to think rightly about God, and that who you think Jesus is will actually shape who you become, right? That on this journey to become in Christ, who you think Jesus is is really going to change who you think you're going to become. And so I want to ask this question. Okay, how do you picture Jesus? Um, especially when it comes to his emotional state. How do you picture Jesus? When you think of his face, give you a reminder, he was, you know, a rabbi in the Middle East. They had better weather than us, and he was outside a lot, and so he was probably pretty dark. But how do you picture Jesus? Now, does anyone picture him with a smile? Anyone? You do? Mark does. Okay. You guys do? Okay. Well, I would say you're probably part of the minority, um, especially when you look through art and depictions of Jesus. It's honestly pretty rare that you will find a picture or a rendition of Jesus that could be described as joyful, really. Um, this is Salvatore Mundi. This is a piece of art by Da Vinci, which was sold a few years ago for $450 million. Pretty big. Um, but. What's the facial expression on Jesus here? Would you really describe that as joy? He's got nice hair, but I don't know if I can ask. And he's got his orb. I don't really remember reading that in the Gospels, but nonetheless, I guess that symbolizes the world. The whole world's in his hands. Okay. Here's another painting, a very famous painting from the 1600s by Caravaggio, um, which is the Supper at Emmaus. So this is like post-resurrection Jesus, right? Should be super happy. Jesus is in the middle there, looking pretty serious, looking pretty stern. This next one is actually in the Sistine Chapel, was painted by Raphael. And here's baby Jesus. Here's a Christmas picture for you. But uh, look at the face of baby Jesus here. Is that, uh, is that a description of a very joyful person? Can you actually zoom in on that, Christine? Is that how you picture Jesus? That's not really how I picture Jesus. Right? It's like... Okay. okay. Or we can get a little more modern. Okay, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out in 2004. And here's a picture of Jesus. Obviously, Passion of Christ, if you haven't seen it yet, I won't spoil the ending for you, but it's kind of the harder season of Jesus' life. And so, you know, man of sorrows, taking on our sin on himself. Probably not the most joyful time in Jesus' life, but nonetheless, this is pretty much his face the whole movie. Stern. And even in like in modern depictions, we see Jesus is not typically being described as very joyful. Even in inanimate objects, when Jesus appears, he never seems to be smiling. And you can tell this this guy is even having a hard time smiling. <laughs> he's like, he seems like his mom wanted him to show that, and he's kind of embarrassed that he has to do it. Okay, last one that we have here. Here's like one of the most modern renditions of it. Okay, here's Jesus from the Chosen, which is a show that's currently on right now, and it's getting a little better. He's kind of smiling with his eyes. I don't know what you call that, but he's kind of smiling with his eyes. So we're doing better. He's getting a little more joyful. But still, it's not like what you would think of when you think of joy. Good news of great joy. And then it's just a little smile. And this is something that we see 
throughout art, throughout depictions of Jesus, and probably in most of our hearts and minds, is a picture of Jesus, stoic, melancholy, serious, maybe even angry sometimes, maybe just stern. And the reality is that when you read through the Gospels, that's not necessarily the picture of Jesus that is painted for us. That's not necessarily the picture that we see all that often. And if that is the picture of Jesus that we are always imagining in our heads and that we are reading scripture through the lens of, then first off, we're going to seek to become like that Jesus that is never impressed by anything, that never enjoys anything. It's just stoic and calm. And we'll read through the scriptures with, you know, a tone and a temper that I don't think Jesus actually had. You know, you can read through the scriptures and you can read through the New Testament. And if we're reading it through Stoic Jesus, I think we'll leave out the reality that the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is anointed with the oil of joy. Or we'll hear of all the healings that Jesus performed where there were crowds following Jesus and he would heal people and he would raise people from the dead and he would perform miracles. And most of the time, people were following him, celebrating. And I'm pretty sure Jesus was happy in that sense, too. Or when you look at, you know, here's an instance of Jesus having a conversation with you guys. And he makes that famous statement that how can you point out a speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your eye? How do you read that? Do you read that with stoic, melancholy Jesus just saying that? You have a log in your eye. As if he was being... Straightforward. Honestly, I think that was a bit of a joke. And most scholars today will point out that this was sarcasm. Not in the way that we like typically hurt people with sarcasm, right? But that Jesus would typically bring smiles to others' faces. That Jesus was joyful. And I think if we allow the scriptures to show us who he is instead of this, you know, this picture of him that we've just let be put on us by the culture, by the different renditions. As we read through scriptures, one of the things that you'll see is the joy of Jesus. And as we mentioned earlier, if there's anything in life worth pursuing, and if we are pursuing joy, then that can be found in the person of Jesus.